Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Today I want to step away from a series that I have been doing called The Crown. We have been looking at the first three kings of the Bible and that we have been given the crown of life as followers of Jesus. But make sure we don't lose our crown. Today I wanted to step off because today, uh, September the 10th, kind of marks a new season for us as a church. Uh, Just putting a pause on that, I do hope that all of you, I really do hope all of you are able to, after the service, to hang back a while and enjoy some fellowship with the church. I know it's a scary thing. We are a scary-looking bunch. Take a look at the person to your right and to your left. Now, do they look scary or what? Yeah, we could be a scary-looking bunch. But really, we're not. We're a bunch of teddy bears. And encourage you to just hang back a while. And, and we've got tables already set up. You would have seen them coming in this morning, chairs outside, even in our cafe, for you just to hang back and just meet some people. And I know it can be scary. Okay. But encourage you just to do that. You did, maybe you didn't plan for that. You may have a roast on in the oven at home. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. I don't want you to burn your house down. But uh, if you don't have pressing needs to take off, we would like to serve you today. I believe there's enough salad and desserts out there, and we've got lots of meat for us meat lovers here in our congregation to have some meat. Um, And I say that because my family, Lori's a meat lover too, but the rest of my family doesn't eat meat, and I just don't understand that, but um, maybe when I get to heaven, I will. Uh, they tell me I might not make it to heaven if I keep eating meat. Um, so do join us. I hope you will. And we've got name tags. So I hope you... There's veggie burgers. Thank you. So there's veggie burgers for those of you who don't eat meat. Uh, name tags. I hope you wear your name tags. If you didn't get a name tag, we can get your name tag. And the reason is is so that when you look at each other, you can actually call the person by name. I actually love these Sundays. Because I'm horrible remembering names. And so I can, if you see me staring at your chest, it's, there's a reason I'm trying to read your name. So that's, uh, and, and we can call each other by name. And so I hope that you will avail of the convenience we've created today. This all lines into something. We're just stepping aside today. I want to talk a message entitled Oikos. Everybody say Oikos. Anybody know what Oikos means? Go ahead. Some of you I know do. What is that? Okay. Oikos. Somebody else. Oikos is a Greek word. I I know you don't use it every day or every week or probably ever. But oikos is kind of a weird word. But oikos is the Greek word for house. And it's connected to community home. So oikos, community home. So I just entitled the message oikos simply because we don't use it. And I thought maybe it will stick with you if you have a word that you typically don't use, oikos. Easy to say, kind of sounds weird. And it means house, spiritual house. So uh, let's just open our hearts to the Lord. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand 
what your spirit wants to show us today. We earlier just prayed that we would know you better, that you would enlighten our hearts, show us the hope by which we've been called, and that, God, we would leave here creating an inheritance that will follow us. I pray it will be like a, uh, you know, like a, a, a falling star that leaves a trail behind, that we would impact those around us. Let it be for your kingdom, for your glory, not for ours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 is the text. I invite you and I'm encouraging you, some of you are doing it, to bring your Bibles. So we're encouraging you to bring your Bibles. I, I already this morning, I probably three or four times went to my device and used my phone to find a scripture because it's so easy to type in something and search it. But on Sunday mornings, if you have a Bible, uh, bring your Bibles. And if you have a study Bible, and uh, we provide, I think, in the seats in front of you, pens. And I encourage my youth when we meet on Thursday, and they were doing it this past Thursday, to, to underline areas that are highlighted Maybe just in the margin of your Bible, just write something related to it so that when you see it later or you can go back later, you, it will recall something in your mind and in your heart. Uh, I find that I can't, there's so much information. Only that which I come back to and I, I write or I study can I retain because we just information overload. So that's why you want to highlight the things that are really, really important in your day. And mark it down. So I encourage you on Sundays, I really consider God's word really important. uh, And I want to remember it. I want God to continue to use that throughout the week. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles. You can do that when you bring your Bibles. And it's just a good practice. uh, Just bring to take home. Encourage you to do that. So 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, it says this. Paul speaking to the believers. He says, you also... Like living stones, kind of a strange expression, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. That spiritual house is the word oikos, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Note the part, living stones. Now, stones don't live, but he says you are like living stones. That which is meant to be foundational, be life-giving, being built into a spiritual house. So together, the stones live. Together, they construct into a spiritual house, into oikos. To be a holy priesthood. Priesthood, the idea of priesthood, so that you can represent the king of kings to the world. We do that together. We can't do that singly. We need to do that together. Together, we represent him to the world. I remember back in school days, uh, track and field. Trust that you remember those days. Some of you don't have to think back so far. Others of us do. And... In track and field days, uh, you know, what was your favorite event? I had a few. I, I really like, I know I'm a short guy, but I actually like the high jump. Um, I like the long jump. Uh, I like the shot put. I was horrible at javelin. Like, I was just dangerous with those things. Um, but I like the shot put, and I like the 100 yard. Now, I had too short of legs to ever make the 200 and win anything. 
but I could usually blast it through the 100. Um, I wasn't honestly particularly good at relay races. And because I learned later my problem, I thought relay races were all about pure speed, but it really isn't. Relay races, although you need speed, you need to know how to pace with someone. And I didn't really get to do that well. Uh, so in a relay, there's four people in a relay race. They race, and you pass the baton to the next runner. But the key to the winning is not pure speed. The key to winning is knowing how to get pace with that person so that when you pass the baton, they are at full speed at the moment you pass off. There's not slowing down. There's not having to turn, all that kind of stuff. And I really believe that Apostle Paul, when he says that he's running the race to reach the end, but it's a race not with the individual people. You can't but see here, we are part of a relay. We need to pace with others in our race. So I have a fundamental question. I'm starting the day off here this morning. I'm asking you, who do you have spiritually pacing with you? Who do you have in your life that's spiritually pacing with you? Do you have somebody that's pacing along knowing how you're doing spiritually? Because I'm going to say you need, you need to have somebody. You are unhealthy. I'm going to talk all about that. There's an unhealthiness if you don't have somebody pacing with you. And I'm going to suggest even a few that would pace with you. Lori has that. I have that in my life. People pacing with us. And we also have that in the context of the church. We need people who are pacing with us. So the question to you, do you have someone spiritually pacing with you? So let's talk about, because if we don't, he's talking about being built into a spiritual house. If we don't have someone pacing with you, I'm going to suggest, biblically, New Testament speaking, there's an unhealthiness if we don't have somebody spiritually pacing. So I guess the second question is, are you healthy? Now our text here, Peter is speaking to the church and he's speaking to their health. He wants them healthy. Peter understood that because Peter had a tendency to be a lone guy, to just run ahead. But he learned as he got older that wasn't healthy. Health required you to have spiritual pacing with people. Do you have people spiritually pacing with you? So I'm a couple points I'm going to draw here. Growth, you want to grow in your faith. Growth follows health. You need to be healthy in order to grow. A number of years ago, Lori and I were at a conference, and the speaker of the conference was relaying a story where he was having breakfast at a restaurant. There was a fellow there who recognized him as a fellow pastor in the city that they were in, and he came over, introduced himself, sat at the table, and he wanted to talk to him. And he proceeded to tell him a story about his church. He was troubled by the story. So the story of his church, just really briefly, the story of the church was this. This guy was serving on the staff of this church, and his senior pastor, one Sunday morning, proceeded to get up behind the pulpit. He placed his Bible on the pulpit, and he asked all his board members, his deacon board, to stand. His deacon board stood, and then he proceeded to say, this is 
lead pastor in a church, he proceeded to say as the board members of his church stood, he said that those board members were the reason he was resigning the church effective immediately. And he picked up his Bible and he walked out. Now, isn't that a mess? Isn't that a mess? And so the pastor's telling the other pastor what happened in his church. And he said the church met. They asked him as the associate pastor, would he become the pastor? So he became the pastor. And, and, and he was saying, and so, you know, that Sunday morning just exploded. What do I do? How do I fix this? And here's the point, and the speaker was making this, our conference speaker was making this. He was the one listening to the story. And he made this comment. He said this. He said, it didn't just explode that morning. He said, no, indeed. It happened. The problem happened years before. Listen to this. It happened years before when people in that church allowed broken relationships and tolerated them as normal. That's where the problem was. What happened that morning, what happened that morning, it just surfaced. But it was happening months, perhaps years. Again, let me say it again. Before, when people in the church allowed broken relationships and tolerated them as if that's normal. So you can tell I wrote that one down. That was one I needed to write down. Yeah. When we allow brokenness to go on and tolerating brokenness as if it's normal it's okay it's just the way the world is well it actually is the way the world is that's why Jesus came that's why he gave his life so that he might bring healing and restoration to a broken world through him it's not how the church not the church of Christ is We've been spending a little bit of time, and if you've been pacing with me in the last few weeks, I've talked about forgiveness, that we need to be people of forgiveness if there's things happening. Work to reconcile that. Seek forgiveness and to be forgiven. We've talked about home situations where in our homes there may be brokenness and woundedness and we need to work actively in our homes as well. I, we had to do that a few years ago in our home with my son where the Lord spoke and said, every week you need to dialogue and initiate a new dialogue with him. And then that turned everything around, turned everything around. That happened just a few years ago, but we had to deal with it. We can't tolerate it like it's normal. I can't compare it to a person down the road or somebody I know. No, it's not normal for God's kingdom. And in that particular church, well, the pastor did that, the horrible thing the pastor did. It should never have happened. But when that happened, it was indeed People allowing broken relationships and treating them as normal because it's not normal. There needs to be where we resolve those things. And I'm not saying there's an issue here. I'm not preaching this because there's an issue. I'm preaching because the strength of pacing with each other spiritually, the strength of an oikos is that you never let it get to those moments. You never let it get to the brokenness. There are people here this morning. You have come out of broken churches. You can tell stories about broken places. Churches that have people pitted themselves against others and spoken evil to each other. And yes, it was evil. And perhaps it was never dealt with. Perhaps it was just tolerated. And I'm saying, 
You know in your own immediate families, if you tolerate that, it tends not to get better. It tends to get worse. You can't let too much water get under that bridge. You've got to address it and bring Christ into it so that there can be correction and a restoration. Not everything turns out the way we hope it will, but if we bring God and we move quickly into it and we stay at it, we're going to see so many miracles. We're believing for that. We're believing for that in all our church loved ones' lives. Paul said in Ephesians 4.3, Ephesians 4.3, he says, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. Every effort. Every effort. I like that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Don't leave a rock unturned. Make every effort to go after that. To keep unity, the Spirit, through the bond of peace. We need to pace together for healthy relationships. I mean, you think about our physical bodies. If you are healthy, if you are healthy, then when one part of your body, you know, your, maybe it's your bladder, <laughs> maybe it's your, uh, yeah, something aches, you know, it could be an, a joint in your body. If something malfunctions, if there's an ailment, if the rest of your body is healthy, if you've looked after your body, you will often quickly heal. But if you have stress, and there's so many studies out there, if you have stress and you're not dealing with it, anxieties, wearisome, fears, bitterness, internal conflicts, you will have psychosomatic breakdown with even the smallest of viruses that hit you. And you'll not heal quickly. It takes a long time to recover because your body's not healthy. Likewise, in the body of Christ, when the church, we are... In, we are we are organic. We're an organic expression of the body of Christ. And because we are alive and growing, that's what Paul says, make every effort to keep yourselves healthy. So, growth follows health. When I'm healthy, I can grow. When I'm not healthy is when I'm not growing. If there's no growth, check the health issue. Secondly, healing also follows growth. You want healing? You want to recover, then we need to make sure that we're working on the health, your health, the health of the body. You perhaps have heard it said that when it comes to surgery, and some of you have gone and you've had surgery in the hospital, you've gone in for an operation of some type. When they go and do an operation, they often have a number of questions just prior to it, even days before, but certainly the morning of. Questions regarding your health. You know, are you sick with a virus or a cold before they do the operation? Because they probably won't put you under for that if you're already struggling in your lungs. Or if your blood pressure's way off. Or if there's something erratic in your heart. They're, they're concerned because why would they go and put stress to your body because your body probably can't handle it? You increase the problems if you start to go after one area when the rest of your body is struggling in some area. We need to have healthy bodies. There's something also about um, watching our, having an ability to be able to grow. And what is it that matters and we place our attention, we place value in. And, and I was reading, I've been doing a lot of reading lately, evangelists and, and missionaries and reformists and stuff. I've been doing quite a bit of reading and studying. Evangelist John Wesley said this. He says, I value everything in light of eternity. 
I value everything in light of eternity. Everything. So, everything. So that means I value my home in light of eternity. What value do I place on my home based on eternal things? Um, what about this building? Um, brick and mortar. I value this building. In, so I need to evaluate it in light of eternity. Um, even things on the platform, the keyboard. I've, what value do I place on that in light of eternity? Uh, what about your son or daughter's soccer league in light of eternity? What about the extra money you make working overtime in light of eternity? Even church programs. What value do I place on them in light of eternity? The point being made is one thing that does last for eternity is relationships. Relationships last forever. And investing in one another is an eternal value. So when answering John's question, John Wesley, I value everything, it comes down to the people I connect with, a pace with, need to be eternally valuable. I place value on them. Oikos, a spiritual house, a personal community that I value. Placing primary emphasis on the people I pace with in life. These are the people, the oikoses in our lives are those that we pace with, we relate to perhaps an hour every week, an hour every two weeks or more. They're not the ones you just know by name, but they're the ones that you, they get to know you and you get to know them. They can be a family member. They can be close friend. They can be a co-worker. They can be a distant family member, but somebody that you pace with in life, that you understand their journey. They brought you in and you brought them in into the journey. And so who is it? And, and they statistics, and this is North American statistics, that the average person has around has around maybe five to ten oikos people. Some have a bit more, some have a bit less. Oikos people. These are people that they track with, that you know each other. You have meaningful conversation, meaningful. So you're talking about each other. At least one hour every week or every two weeks. You get to know each other. You're learning a bit of their lives, a bit of their what they like, what they don't like, where they've been from, what their aspirations are for the future. Do you, do you have people like that that you are tracking with that are part of an oikos? That's the oikos. The oikos is that community that you are getting to know and they getting to know you. The Bible says that we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Jesus you study Jesus in the gospel. He was all about oikoses. When I began to go through, I began to write these down, and so I'm just going to give them to you. Jesus was constantly doing his best work in oikoses. In Luke chapter 19, it's the story of Zacchaeus. They had an encounter outside. But what did Jesus say? He said, Zacchaeus, let's go back to your home. That word, oikos, let's go back to your group. We're going to spend some time together. We're going to eat together for a while. And out of that, Zacchaeus' life was changed. Not just a moment in a tree. It was a moment in his home that developed into something that was lifetime. If you go to Luke chapter 7, Jesus was invited into a Pharisee's oikos. And in the oikos, in the Pharisee's home, it was there that the encounter with the woman with the alabaster jar who she poured the perfume over his feet happened in the context of an oikos in relationships. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was in one of his friend's homes 
his mother-in-law's home. And in the context of the mother-in-law's homes, she was sick. And because there was an oikos there in the home setting, she got healed dramatically and she lived because Jesus penetrated an oikos. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew. Matthew invited Jesus to his oikos. He, Matthew was a person that people really didn't like. He was a tax collector. He, he was a part of a group of people that was dishonest. And people felt betrayed when you were around them. And Jesus was invited into their oikos. And as he got into their community, it was there. Matthew and friend of sinners. Jesus penetrated that. And they came to a living relationship with Jesus. Inside the context of an oikos. Matthew chapter 9 again. Jesus was invited into a rich young ruler's oikos. A person who felt that typically the rich and the, those not rich didn't have a whole lot in common. They tended not to hang together. But Jesus went into that oikos not simply because he was rich, but because he was invited. And in there, he was able to bring healing to his daughter in the context of oikos. The best things in church happen in oikos. The best things happen in the context of those relationships, the people that you pace together with. The things that we most often resist. We most often try not to. We avoid those times because, because there's all kinds of reasons, isn't there? We avoid them. I want to suggest that Satan, the enemy of your soul, will do everything to keep you from being a part of a fellowship group. So yes, this is a part of the plug that the church, we need to be a part of something beyond just Sunday morning. We need to be a part of something where we're pacing with other people, other believers, getting together. I talked last week that there's different levels of friendships, but it's God's plans that we develop those relationships. Not everybody's going to be my booze and old buddy close friend. Those are very few because there's that certain chemical connection. But I can have acquaintance and just friends. Those who I can still pace with, we don't necessarily have a ton of things in common, but we spur each other on in the faith. They are healthy to me. Many of you here who are married, married somebody very different than you. Very, we call them sometimes opposites. You know, the expression opposites attract. So if you're married here today, how many of you kind of did marry the opposite? How many is that true for? Go ahead. <laughs> Some of you are looking at each other for permission to put their hand up. <laughs> if you needed permission to put your hand up, then you married the opposite. Okay, just telling you. If you needed that permission. We often do. Not all of us, but we often do. And in that, the relationship grows out of friendship and understanding and working out your differences because you're unique. There's a good word. You know, we use other words to describe our partner, right? But a good one is unique. We say special. We say special. Because you grow in that context. Let me just, I'm going to switch gears here. I want to talk about... Yes, the oikos is the spiritual oikos. I want to talk about your, your families. Because the oikos is also include your homes. Your homes. And, and I want to just say, brothers and sisters in the faith, there's a battle for your home. How many? We know that, don't we? There's a battle for your home. There's a spiritual battle over your family. You, husband, wife, your children, and your loved ones. Um. It grieves my heart, and it never stops grieving, and I pray it never will. Learning how many people in, in our church 
have dear loved ones, dear loved ones who have absolutely no interest in the things of God. And you know, we can differ in certain things in life, but I think the thing that breaks our heart the most as lovers of Jesus is to think that somebody who is dear to us will never spend eternity in heaven. Is there anything that weighs more heavy on our... I don't know if there is anything that weighs more heavy on my heart than a loved one who has chosen, who has resisted the love of Jesus offered. It weighs us. It weathers us. It ages us. And, it, and it's, it's all over. It's just dear ones in our hearts that we can lose faith in. And I want to say fight for your home as long as that person is alive. Fight for your homes. Even if the person's out of the home, fight for your homes. Continue to believe God for your loved ones. Continue to stand in the gap for people that are in your family, even the exterior family. We believe God for those lives. I thank God today. I would not be, I would not be a lover of Jesus today if it hadn't been for my godly parents and my siblings. Just wouldn't have been. Now, I don't know that 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure knowing my nature. Because my parents invested it. Thy parents taught us how to pray by doing it in the home virtually every day. My parents taught us how to cherish God's word. That's why I'm, as kind of your spiritual dad, encouraging you, cherish God's word. There's nothing like it. Cherish it, cherish it. Hold it dear. Everything else is fluid in this world, but this doesn't change. And if you let this go, you're in trouble. Cherish God. My parents, you know, help me to cherish God's word that I consider it important. They taught us how to respect the house of God. Oh my goodness, did I have to learn that lesson. When you come into the house of God, you respect it. Part of the respect was don't you dare go in there late. <laughs> okay? So I have a bit of an aversion for that because it was trained to me young. When you go to the house of the Lord, honor him and honor those that are serving you. Honor him. And so I got that. I remember I, 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 there's a lot of my childhood in the house of God I don't remember. There's some things I do remember. And one of them I remember, my father, my mother, and I was sitting beside them, and I wasn't horribly old. I was, a, I don't know, I was under five, but I don't know exactly where. I might have been five or six maybe. And, uh, and I remember I was being a bit of a pill, and my father corrected me. He would typically put his hand on my knee. That was, right? You knew what that meant. It wasn't lovingly, Right? It was just like, settle down. Now, I can't remember what I was doing, but I remember turning and sticking my tongue out at him. <gasps> so then I was taken out of church, and I was taken out the back of the church, taken downstairs. The pastor's office was downstairs. And yes, I do remember this, how it stands out in my mind. And I was taken into the pastor's office, and when I left, I was a little sore. Then when I arrived, and I learned a valuable lesson. And incidentally, that was the first time in my life I was ever in a pastor's office. And I've been there ever since. <laughs> Mom and dad fought for their family. They fought aggressively for their home. Don't be afraid. Don't fear what sin 
might do to their lives. Stand up in faith, fight for your home, God will fight for you. When you stand up, he will come alongside. He paces when we begin to fight for our home. He doesn't pace when you're passive. He doesn't pace when you're lethargic. He doesn't pace when you say, well, what will be will be. Nothing I can do because there's lots we can do. And so fight for your home. Don't be afraid. Nehemiah chapter 4 is a story where Nehemiah was a governor over people. And if you haven't, your Bible's turned there. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. And we're also going to in a moment read chapter 2. But Nehemiah and this whole story, they're rebuilding a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And that was such an important thing for them to do. It was God's plan. But they were afraid because they had a lot of enemies. People were threatening them. And Nehemiah had a word for them. He said in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, he said to the people, he says, don't be afraid of them, the people out there. Remember the Lord. Keep your mind on him. Who is great. He is awesome. And fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. That word fight, you can put it in front of all of them. Fight for them. Don't be afraid. Because God is awesome. He is great. So fight for them. And he'll come alongside and fight with you. The battle's not easy. The battle is over our homes. But fight for them. Don't be afraid of the enemy's fret. Don't just sit back. Let it happen. So maybe this call this morning is, I got to get back up. Got to get back up and, and start praying like I've never prayed. Start believing like I haven't believed. Start calling other people in to join me in my journey with my home. You know, at the end of the service, we're going to invite you. Daniel and myself are going to be back. When you head out the sanctuary to the left, there's a table out to the left. So before you grab a bite, if you uh, want to be a part of a home group, some, go talk to me. I'm going to be out there. Uh, you can connect with me throughout the week. Again, we've, we're starting. We're kicking them off this week. Uh, number, there's a couple happening on Tuesday. There's one happening on Wednesday. There's one happening next Wednesday, next Sunday. Uh, and if, by the way, if you've already signed up, if you've shown interest, if you've indicated, and you haven't been contacted in the last week about a home group, send me another email uh, so that we can line you up. We're going to have to putting people in groups. Let us know. Uh, because in that, one of the things we do at the end of every home group is we take prayer requests. We just ask, how can I pray for you? And don't be afraid to say, would you pray for my home, my son, my daughter? Would you pray for my husband, my wife? Would you pray for my, my brother, my sister? We've been estranged. Would you pray whatever it might be? And we pace together. We begin to join together in remembering. There's something beautiful about that, having somebody else pray with you. Part of fighting together is fighting note the word together in there. Not fighting alone, fighting together. I always feel stronger when somebody's coming alongside fighting along with me. I'm just that much stronger and uh, listen, when you fight, uh, Nehemiah told them, when you, when you go to battle, uh, we're, we're going to build the wall with one hand. We're going to have a weapon in the other hand. So here's the weapon, and we're going to keep building. Don't, don't lay up the building, what you're doing, in order because you're paranoid of the enemy. But at the same time, don't ignore that because the enemy is on the prowl. No, with the trowel in one hand and the sword in the other, we fight. And listen, we need to take up the sword. Sometimes we, we have to grab that divine weapon. I'm going to suggest the divine weapon of the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Would anybody say amen? There's power. Do you know what that means? Power in the name of Jesus? 
I've been reading every day. Part of my devo is I study another name of Jesus. And just in the last week, I began to put down, there's authority in his name, rightful possession in his name. I began to use some of the scriptures. Here were the scriptures I've been using in the last two weeks. These are just mine. In Psalms 118.22, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. I've been using that as a weapon. In Revelation 1.5, he's my faithful witness. He testifies to me of what God is doing in my life. Revelation 1.5, he is the Lord of lords. Whatever declares authority, he is Lord of it. I testify in 5.5, Revelation 5.5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When he roars, the earth quakes. I've been declaring in Revelation 1.5, he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. I pray for my prime minister. I pray for my premier. I pray for my mayor. I pray for counsel. But Jesus is Lord over them. And I declare he's the king over everything. And his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I declare that in the name of Jesus. That's one of his names. I declare in Revelation 1.5, he was, he is, and he is to come. He's outside of my time element, so therefore I will not fret. I will not be anxious. I declare also in Revelation 1.8 that he is the almighty God, not just mighty. He's almighty. There's not one higher. You don't go higher than that. I've been declaring in Revelation 12.5, he rules the nations. He's called the ruler of the nations. It's one of his names. All these are names of him. In Revelation 19.11, Jesus is the faithful and true one. He's true. Everything truth flows through him. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, he holds the stars in his right hand in place. Now, if he can do that, like the stars are big, <laughs> right? I don't know. I've never been there, but I think they're really big. And it says he holds them in his right hand. If he can hold them in the right hand, do you not think he can handle your situation? So I declare, him who holds the stars, God, would you now speak into this situation? I need you to hold this situation for me. I pray with the weapon of the name of Jesus. Now, you don't have to use these. These are what I've been using just in the last two weeks. You need to take up the spiritual weapons for your family. Secondly, let me suggest, grab a hold of the weapon of the Word of God. That's why the Word of God does not come back void. The Word of God is powerful. It is a weapon. Declare that no weapon formed against you and your family will prosper. That comes right from the Word. Declare that as for you and your household... You will serve the Lord. We did that last night in our prayer Zoom, those who were in the prayer Zoom. I took my computer and I walked over to, uh, there was about six or seven of us on our prayer Zoom praying for the service today. And we went over to my stairwell. And in our stairwell, we have a great big, I don't know what you call those things, piece of wood. Yeah, piece of whatever it is. And it's on a big windowsill. And it has that scripture from Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When I walk, every time I go up and down the stairs, I look at that, it's a big A. And I look at that A and I declare it every time I see it. That's multiple times a day. When I'm out walking and I'm coming back on the sidewalk, I can see up in the window the A from outside. People probably wonder, what's that A up there for? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I declare it. I declare it. It's a part of who I am. I take God's word, Joshua 24, 15. Uh, declare salvation over your family, household salvation. Apply Ephesians 1. Go through Ephesians 1. Uh, we did that earlier today. I just shared with you three things from Ephesians 1. Declare that over your household. I declare it over to my household here. Apply Corinthians. That says every argument and every hellish thought that comes on you and your loved ones will be cast down. Again, grab the weapon of God's word. Next, grab the weapon of prayer. 
Prayer. I discover we talk a lot about prayer. We tend not to pray a lot. Prayer is not your thoughts. Prayer is when you go to him and you talk to him. You communicate with him and you listen. Prayer is not just thoughts. Thoughts are thoughts. Prayer is when you direct that in conversation, in appeal, in praise, in supplication, but it is to the Lord your God. Pray. Pray throughout your day. When your son, your daughter comes to mind, your husband or wife comes to mind, regularly keep laying them before the Lord in the day. Grab hold of the weapon of praise. Exalt the Lord as a measure of your faith. There's times you just need to, you don't feel like it, You just need to lift your hands and say, God, I'm just praising you because you are great and awesome. When's the last time you just, I know some of you do. Just lift your hands, begin to praise him. Actually, lifting hands is one of the words for worship. The lifting up of hands. Lifting hands. Might seem strange. God, I just praise you. I just praise you in my situation right now. I just praise you. You know, dancing is too, and I don't mean dancing with your partner. Sometimes you just need to break out of the funk that you're in. I said funk, by the way. You need to break out of your stuck situation that's over your family, over your whatever. You need to break out of it. And so you just begin, Lord, and if it's oppression, I usually just say, God, I, and there's times that you don't want to see me dance, and I'm not going to do that. But there's, I just dance before the Lord because I need to. Not because I physically need to do it. I need to spiritually do it. I need to declare his praise over a situation that's not going well. If you continue to read Nehemiah, you get near the end of the story of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. The people started weeping because they saw there was so much they had disappointed God. And Nehemiah said, stop it, everybody. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Because in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances, you need to just break out by praising God. Clap. I worship you. I worship you. Lord, I just clap. I lift up holy hands. And I You might not think they're holy, but if I dedicate them to God, he makes them holy. God, I just worship you. I praise you. You know, nothing more beautiful than I was standing at the back today watching us worship. Nothing more beautiful when I see his hands lifted to God and worship. Just God. Not to be seen by others. It's not about that. If If that's it, then practice it at home first. But just lift holy hands. What am I saying? It's a weapon. Praise is a weapon. You are declaring something. Remember, you live not by fact, but by faith. So you haven't seen the answer yet, but you're believing it based on God's faithfulness. We're saying that based on his faithfulness. So now you begin to live as if it happened. You're trusting him. You're putting your faith in him. God might not be today, but it doesn't matter. I continue to hold on because I know. Remember, he is, he was, he is, and he is to come. So God's not in your continuum of time. So as he's beginning to answer the situation, it might not be on September the 10th, 2023, but it's already in place. It's already the movement towards that. And so I honor him. I step out in the place of praise and worship, and and it's a weapon. I come against that. And, And there's often a breakthrough takes place, even just in your own heart and in those moments, the weapon of praise. Hallelujah. I'm getting blessed already. Praise God. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. But he's speaking to the enemy here. But you have no portion or right or memorial in Jerusalem. He's speaking to the enemy. What Nehemiah is saying, the enemy, you, just, you need to tell him that. The God of heaven is my God. 
and he will prosper. I look to him. And devil, you have no portion, right or memorial in my house, in my lake house. Amen. So Israel needed to fight for their families. They needed to, you know what? It worked. It worked. Laurie earlier mentioned who, and there's two or three that raised their hands to, who've been to Israel. If you've been in the city of Jerusalem, there's a wall there they call the Wailing Wall. And it's a section of the wall that dates way back to Nehemiah's time. Just think about it. 2,500 years, boggles my mind. 2,500 years ago, they were building the wall that was totally destroyed. There was nothing there. And when you go to the Wailing Wall, there's sections of the Wailing Wall. We don't know exactly, at least I don't, what section that is that were built at the time of Nehemiah. At this moment, 2,500 years ago, when Nehemiah says, take a sword, take a trowel, Brothers and sisters, families, be in units together. We are going to do this. And against all odds, they built this wall. And part of it is still standing today after Jerusalem has been ransacked so many times. There's a section of the wall still standing. And I was thinking, God, if you can keep that for 2,500 years, <laughs> you could look after some of our situations. Because it's not just temporary. He wants it to be a forever lasting. I think of Noah. I'm going to close with a couple guys here. Noah. Anybody remember how long it took Noah to build the ark? Yeah, a long time. <laughs> okay, a really long time. Okay, they say about 120 years. About 120 years. Okay, really long time. So 120 years, he's building the ark because there's a flood coming. Know the story. So over a century, he built the ark for the safety of who? Well, yeah, animals. But not primarily, like we like to think about all the animals. But it was primarily so there could be an inheritance that would live on. There was about to be major destruction upon the earth. So not only did Noah get the animals on board, but the most important thing, he had to get his family on board. If Noah failed to get his family on board, the whole thing meant nothing. Him, his wife, and the animals? Sorry. The next generation's gone. And there is none of us here today. No, it's his family. He needed to get his family. I like what the King James says in 2 Peter chapter 2, 5. King James says it this way. It refers to Noah as the eighth person on the ark. And I remember looking at Noah as the eighth person. The other translation just said there were seven that went. But this translation said he was the eighth. In other words, Noah didn't. He wasn't the first on the ark. He didn't get the animals on the ark, and then he rushed onto the ark and then waited to see who was going to come. He got his family on, and he was the last one of his family on. Guys, come on. Come on. Get in there. Get in there. Get in there. Are you all in there? It's kind of like dad going on that camping trip, right? Are you all there? You know, somebody has to go to the bathroom. You wait. Get them back. Are you all there? Now, I can get on the ark. He was the eighth person. Peter says he was the eighth person. He was the last who got onto that ark, and the door closed. So that his family, his family, it was about his family. It meant nothing if he didn't have his family on the ark. And so it was key to him. He needed to fight for his family. 120 years would have been shot. Imagine 120 years for nothing. <laughs> All right. You got to get the family on. Psalms 127, verse 3. Psalms 127. The psalmist declares that children are a heritage from the Lord. And are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I want you to listen to this. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Praise God. 
and are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I want you to think about that for a second. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Arrows need one other item to make them work. What's the other item? A bow. Okay, let's read it again. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Not just a person. Arrows in the hand. We need warriors. Children are heritage from the Lord. So much in this verse, we shoot through it too quick. Yes, heritage from the Lord. And are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. An arrow can only ever go where the bow points them. If I point my arrow towards alcohol, the arrow will fly to alcohol. You see it? If I'm pointing my arrow towards money as my goal, then they, it will fly to getting rich. If I point my arrow towards entertainment and leisure and simply sports, it will fly towards a life of self-indulgence. The arrows only go where you point them. Hmm. This is worth writing down. So we come back to that text. Yeah, they're heritage of the Lord, but he says, like an arrow in the hand of a warrior, you better point them in the right direction. You wonder why things are happening? What direction have you been pointing that arrow? Because that's where it will fly. And that's where it will produce whatever it's producing. I can't expect the arrow to go towards church if I'm not planning it towards church. Then they don't want anything to do with it. I can't plan it towards loving the body of Christ and being invested in other people's lives for, for the kingdom if I'm not planted and pointing in there myself. We wonder why things are happening, but often we haven't pointed the arrow in the right place. This, is, this text is incredible. Children are a heritage from the Lord and are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What am I teaching my children to love? What am I teaching my children or those around me to be ashamed of? Teach your children that they're not like that family that's down the street. They're not like that friend at school that they're talking about, keeps coming around the things that are happening. That... They just don't do it like everyone else. You just don't do it like every other family. Because you're pointing your arrow towards holiness. You're pointing your arrow towards worshiping God and Him alone. You're pointing your arrow, arrow that they would be a godly woman. They would be a godly man. That's where you're, so you're not just like everyone else. That, somebody's pointing their arrow there, but that's not where you're pointing. No, we are pointing our arrow here. We've invested here. And when they say, well, they all do it. You say, well, we're not all like them all. We're pointing our arrows in a different direction. Point your arrows towards truth. So I close with 2 Samuel chapter 23, one of my favorite stories of the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 23, if you have it, verse 11 and 12. You've probably marked it. There's been so many books written on this. It's just, I, I, you can't get enough of these two verses, really. At least I can't. Because it just stands out to me. It screams at me constantly. 2 Samuel 23 verse 11. It simply says this. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of beans. In other words, the Philistines were the enemy and it was a picture of something here. Israel, God's children, were fighting against the enemy that tried to take over. So, verse 11. When the Philistines banded together at a place where 
there was a field full of beans. Israel's troops fled from them. Verse 12. But Shammah, guy by the name of Shammah, took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended the field and struck the Philistines down. And here's how it ended. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Not because the people that fled, because of this guy by the name of Shammah who fought for a field of beans. Now, I like beans, but I would never risk my life for beans. But I want to suggest it's not about that. They were in a battle. And Shammah, people were retreating, and they were in this field of beans. It just happened to be a field of beans. And Shammah didn't leave the field of beans. His colleagues, those around him, ran. It was overwhelming. But he took his stand, verse 12. He took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it. He defended the field. Why did he do that? Because on the other side of the field is his family. The other side of the field is his village. The other side of the field is the things that he loves. It's an inheritance. You take your stand here or you lose that. So as he saw the others retreating, he said it's all or nothing. He took his stand, pivoted, and fought. And the end proved that it was God's will. God had a great victory. Where did, the vic- where did it turn? Where did the tide turn? This guy on the field of beans wouldn't give up. He took his stand. I like the story. Don't you love that story? But he, the story is not fighting for a bunch of beans. Because he wasn't fighting for beans. He was fighting for his family. He was fighting because that's on the way to this. The field's on the way to that. Listen, wherever you are today, whatever you're coming up against, the victory is taking your stand right now. You think, well, I'll take my stand. It's not, it's not worth the skirmish right now. It probably is. Fight for the skirmish. Fight for that field of beans you're standing in right now. Wherever you are, fight for it. Using the weapons of what we talked about earlier. And becoming a people of pacing with one another. And making a difference. And we will see the victory of the Lord. Why? Well, we sang about it earlier. He is faithful. But he's only faithful if we're pointed in the right direction. He is faithful. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.